Today's Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hello, Your Stories fam, and welcome again to another episode of the podcast. Shelby here. We're continuing our series on work with a theme, Managers. We've all had them. They've all been a variety of quality, but we definitely have stories. We kick off this month with stories from Jen Sodini, Cherry Darling, and Carly Ballerini, uh, all highlighting some less than optimal managers. But the theme underlying it all is prevailing anyway. Hell yeah. Stick it to the man. Of course, we also feature songs from cover stories, taking a fun twist on the theme. Look forward to that. Dwight was missed, I guess, uh, but Eric and Katie completely slayed it. Before we get to the show, make sure that you like your stories on Facebook for the latest news on shows, podcasts, and more. Now, let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Stories. We are so excited to have you here tonight. Um, this is our favorite night of the month, where we get to hang out with a bunch of people, hang out with a bunch of nerds in the room, and tell stories about our lives, stories that are personal, that are funny, that are sad, that are exciting, but all in all, we get to share them together, and you guys get to be a part of that, so we are so happy to have you. Um, prepare, laugh at the right times, cry at the right times, applaud. You guys know the drill. You've all seen storytelling shows before. Um, to kick things off, though, you guys are very lucky, cannot stress this enough, very lucky, to be here with the best band in podcasting, and that is Cover Stories. Let's welcome them up. Hi. Two-thirds of the best band in podcasting. <laughs> I think it's superior this way. <laughs> oh, Sorry, no. Dwight. I won't tell Dwight. I will. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, tonight, the theme of the night is managers, and so we took that theme and are running with uh, a musical theme of 
acts that had bad, historically bad managers. This next song, I don't know anything about this band's manager, but... <laughs> he was bad. He was bad. And this thing I like to cast his daughter in music videos, yeah. so that's cool. In sexual roles, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Great. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three, one, two, three.
Aerosmith. Aerosmith. We'll be back. Aerosmith might be. The last time I remember listening to that song was on a roller coaster. It was just like that, and dude looks like a lady. Yeah, it's one of the less sexual options. Weird roller coaster rides. Uh, We realized almost everyone here is brand new, so we wanted to briefly introduce us, since most people don't know who we are. Yeah, we fucked that part up. So your host for the first half is the lovely uh, Shelby Mongan, my fiance. Yep. Uh, and I'm People Chris Crotwell. but required. I like uh, it. I'm Chris Crotwell, and I will be hosting the second half, yep. and I will leave her to it. Now he will get off my stage. All right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry about that, y'all, but we are super excited, like I said before, to have you here. Uh, lots of new faces, which is a joy for us. Um, part of the exciting thing here is getting to hear people's stories, and we've heard most of our friends' stories already, so we're excited to hear more. Um, so as Chris mentioned, I think the theme of this month, um, as it's been mentioned by and Katie as well, is managers. Um, we're doing a series, as part of a longer series, on the labor economy. We're taking you to school. We're not really taking you to school. It's more, you know, we've got jobs, we have to work in this world um, and frankly, we don't talk about it enough and what it's like. So we wanted to talk this time around about managers. We love them. We hate them. We have lots of experiences. I, for one, um, I think the single strangest manager I ever had when I was in college, I was a resident advisor because of course, like, look at me, right? I welcomed people to dorm activities. It's how I do. Um, and my manager's name was Joe and Joe loved three things in the world more than anything else. Joe loved musical theater. Joe loved Oprah. Joe loved not having alone foods near him. Joe had really strong feelings about the food that you ate, and when he lived in the dorm, he tended to have his RAs in a lot. So he had very strong opinions and feelings about alone foods. Alone foods were anything, basically almost any food. If it wasn't completely neutral in scent, if you weren't basically eating styrofoam, you could not bring it into his house. Um, So Cheetos, no... I mean, I'm not eating kimchi in the man's house, right? Like, this is a different sort of thing. But um, but he was a person, and I, and I remember this very clearly. He was very loud. He's comically tall. Um, and he was a man that really owned the things that he loved and genuinely did not care if people did not like them or was not interested in his enthusiasm. Um, and though he was a hard boss to have for many reasons... Uh, Mostly because my favorite genre of food is alone food. Uh, I ate a lot of Asian food, so mostly I had to eat by myself a lot. But he taught me a lot about being very confident in myself and confident in my opinions and my preferences. Um, and that was an absolute joy. It was a good manager. Chris is going to start the second half with a story of a not-so-good manager. Um, but we get to hear the whole gamut here. We're excited to hear from all ends of the spectrum. Um, and we're going to kick things off um, with... So I was going to say a new story tell. Literally everyone who is here tonight is new to your stories, which we're so excited about. We're so happy to have you all here uh, for the first uh, first time on our stage. Um, so the first person we have here tonight is Jen Sedini. Give a round of applause. Hi, I'm Jen Sedini. Happy to be here. I host some shows. So I grew up in Pittsburgh to... You too? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Um, to an Italian restaurant family, okay? We had Sodini's Restaurant, and it was a very, it was open for 50 years. It closed in the early 90s when I was a kid, which was very sad, but it was that kind of, you know, perfect family restaurant. Mr. Rogers ate there every day. Um, uh, Ted Danson ate there when he was at Carnegie Mellon. 
George Romero and Tom Savini ain't there, leading to a series of events that I can only call some Italian shit, where my dad ended up in Dawn of the Dead as a zombie, and then messes up the show. So he is in the background as a truck drives up, and he's pretending to be a zombie, uh, and then he thinks he's off camera, tucks in his shirt, walks off frame, and acts on left in the movie. It's the number one entry on the IMDb Goofs page. (laughs) So, but you know, when people think about those restaurants, like, like, oh, an Italian restaurant, but it's not like a current Italian restaurant. Our number one seller was a bacon burger, you know? It was a family restaurant with food to cater to the steel workers and the people at the university. So I took some time off of college in 2001 And I had worked in restaurants for so long as odd jobs, pay my way through various things. And I, I got back home, um, you know, right around, um, the end of August in 2001. And I was like, sweet, I'll just go home. Not worried about having a job. I'll just pick up like whatever job. And then September 11th happened. And I was like, fuck. The world is ending. I need a job. Like, I'm going broke. So I just started driving around the old Italian neighborhood in Pittsburgh, and I saw a sign that was hiring in an Italian restaurant. And it was called Dell's. The family name was Del Pizzo. And I go in, and I start to fill out an application. And the manager and owner comes up to me, Marianne. She had claw-like nails. I could t- couldn't tell her age. She could have been early 30s or late 50s. She talked like she smoked for a thousand years, had glasses and frizzy blonde hair. And I'm filling out the application, and she's like, I don't need you to fucking do that, and just snatches the application out of my hand. And she's like, she's like, what's your name? I'm like, uh, Jen Sedini. She's like, oh, Sedini, like the restaurant, Sedini's. I'm like, yeah. She's like, Okay, great. We don't need this. You're hired. Um, I'm like, I should be concerned about this, but it's okay. She's like, let me see you. She's like, your nails look like fucking trash. Get your nails done. And I was like, great. She's like, you can start tomorrow. And I was like, all right. So I started working at Dell's. And Dell's, as you can imagine, had a slightly toxic culture. It involved Marianne, her brother John, and their mom Josephine. And Josephine never spoke. John and Marianne ran it, but Marianne was just like a like a spitfire evil blonde troll running throughout the thing. She'd be like, Jennifer, is your shirt ironed? Doesn't look like it's ironed. Or get back on the floor. Oh, she would ridicule everything. My body, my hair. She's like, are you having a second pasta? Only one free meal. <laughs> they had a illegal poker machine in the bar. Every element of the staff was, the managerial staff was ridiculous. The bartender, who was an attorney by day, would slap me on the ass constantly, which is not funny, but whatever, compared to anything else was going on. The um, the head of the, uh, I forget what division, or not division, but like, I forget what he was the manager of. He's clearly been there for a while. One day, uh, John Del Pizzo decided to treat us to sushi, and Bob, <laughs> in his Pittsburgh accent, was like, I ain't, he's like, I'm not eating no sushi. That's, I don't eat the, what they eat in third world countries. And I was like, 
Japan is hardly a third world country. He's like, oh, aren't you miseducated over there? So the one thing that was pretty dark about Delso was the drugs. And there were a lot of people into cocaine and a lot of people into heroin. And in general, I like the people who are into heroin more because just better music, obviously. But there were the serving staff and then there was the kitchen staff. And the kitchen staff was the craziest cast of characters. There was Bucky, who always wore, who had a twin brother, long hair and a beard, who always wore a Pittsburgh Penguin shirt, would smoke over the line as he cooked the food, would talk in a grumble as I could barely understand him. And then there was a guy, Church, because he was a quiet as a church mouse, had dyed red hair, was quiet, shy. So those two were the lead cooks, and there they were both pretty serious heroin addicts. And Marianne clearly was on cocaine. And so that's how she kept her ageless glow. And I remember we'd, I'd have to field calls all the time for what were clearly drug deals. And I'll never forget, like, this, I think Bucky's heroin dealer was, like, a 16-year-old from the suburbs. He'd be like, he'd be like, hello, may I speak to Bucky? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, Bucky, your travel agent's on the phone. And I'd be like, if I was feeling especially mean, I'd be like, Bucky, your dentist is on the phone. And he'd be like, no, 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 shut up, you content. Like, he was so out of control. But I remember one day, I went to work, and... There was no one on the line. There was no one there to make dinner. And I was like, where are the cooks? There's no cooks. And I went out the back, and I saw Church coming up, and his nose was bloody. And I was like, what just happened? And he was like, well, I went to score, and this guy, like, punched me in the face, and I'm covered in blood, and, like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, you should probably clean yourself up. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for the dinner. Like, he was going to go through withdrawal. He's like, I need to talk to Marianne. And I'm like, what do you mean you need to talk to Marianne? He's like, well, Marianne usually gets the drugs for us. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we just pay her off with our ships. And I realized that Marianne was essentially running like an indentured servitude division to a bunch of drug addicts. And it was so tragic and so scary. And that's not why I quit. I was sick of the job and sick of the culture and sick of Marianne, but it really left me a little bit shook. And it made me so sad to think of this darkness inside, like what was an insane quintessential, you know, Italian restaurant. Not that it was any good. The menu sucked. And I'll never forget one time I was waiting on people and a cockroach crawled onto the table and they flipped out and Josephine, who I wasn't even sure could speak, was the only manager there. And I told her and she comes out, she takes a piece of bread off the table and smashes the cockroach in front of them and just asks me to continue serving them. Unbelievably, 10 years later, they ended up on the show Restaurant Impossible on the Food Network. Here's the blurb. When Chef Robert visits Dell's in Pittsburgh, PA, it's clear that the biggest issue with this, with this failing 62-year-old icon 
is not the food or decor, but owner Marianne, under the stress of losing her heirloom, lashes out at her staff. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem. Was she, was she in stress 10 years ago? I think that's just her personality. Also, maybe the cockroach is a problem, too. Three years later, the show, the, the restaurant ended up closing. And, you know, Marianne was interviewed, and she said, I've never had a day off. She worked nights, weekends, holidays, which was true. And I want to go on now while well, I can do something while I'm still young enough to do it. And then I'm like, wait, how old is Marianne? <laughs> on the Food Network gossip page in 2015 when it finally closed after 65 years, someone wrote, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. Well, it's a shame. After that many years, they couldn't see the writing on the wall. They didn't want to evolve. And I was thinking... You know, the place who ended up buying it was a place called Sugar and Smoke. Like, how, you know it's going to be a bunch of repurposed wood and, like, pipe, like, iron pipes for the decor and something that's just going to be hopelessly dated way sooner than 62 years. And I was thinking, you know, with my family and our restaurant, it didn't evolve. But, you know, the restaurants that come in, these restaurants that are corporate, like, is their staff going to get paid more? I bet it's going to be run like a machine without any heart or spirit. And I have no love lost for Marianne. But while she couldn't self-improve, I'm not sure anything evolved. Thanks. Sam. All right. That's fantastic. What a way to kick us off. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh, our next storyteller, another new face here, one we're very excited to hear from, and this is Cherry Darling. Give her applause. My story might run a little bit long, but I'm missing Game of Thrones for this, so you're going to listen to my story. <laughs> um, so I turned 29 this year. I'm almost 30, um, which makes me feel like I'm getting a little bit old. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it makes me feel old, you know, like, it's, it's what I feel in my heart. Um, but I graduated from college maybe like five, six years ago, and so I think that for me was kind of like the biggest shock. It was like realizing how much time had passed. And there were a lot of things that like I learned post-college that I wish people had kind of like warned me about. Um... And one of the things that I learned the hard way was that the absolute, like, worst job you will ever have in your fucking life will be literally right after you get out of college. And it's, like, almost like a 99.9% .9 guarantee that it's going to be terrible. But I ended up learning this for a number of reasons, right? And this happened because you graduate from college and you're broke and you're naive and you're really desperate, right, in that order. Um, because the second you grab your diploma, like, as you're touching it, like, Sally Mae is ringing up your phone and asking for their money, which was, like, due yesterday. So there's definitely, like, that urgency, right? Like, you're walking off stage, and you're like, shit, like, I've got to do something with my life. But the thing about graduating from college is that you kind of still have that, like, youthful optimism like you're just kind of like yeah like I remember thinking like I'm an adult now like I have a bachelor's degree like 
jobs are going to want me, right? Like, this is it. So I started applying for jobs because I was a broke-ass bitch. And, you know, I got a job interview and didn't hear a call back. And then I did another interview and I made it to the final round. And then I didn't hear anything back. And then I did another interview and another one and another one. And by the time you get to, like, the fifth, sixth, seventh interview, you're like, holy shit. I am not special. There are like millions of people that also have bachelor's degrees and are also looking for jobs and the demand for the job market is like so high and like you're freaking out and now you're getting desperate. So I ended up starting to apply for any job, like everything and anything that would take me. Like I started off like with someone reasonably high demand. I was like, I want a $100,000 salary or some shit. And then, like, by the end of it, I was like, please, just give me anything. <laughs> like, give me a job. And so I ended up accepting this job at this kind of just standard corporate office. Um, and it was in the NBC Tower, and the company will remain unnamed so I don't get sued. Um, but I started working at this job, and it was pretty terrible. Um, my position was an FMLA claim specialist. And to kind of, like, describe... It, first of all, it's just as boring as it fucking sounds. Like, <laughs> but to kind of describe what this job was. Um, so everybody is entitled to family medical leave, right? Like, if you're sick, if you have a health condition, um, if a loved one has a health condition, like, you are legally entitled to have that time off. Well, my job was was to look at the form that you filled out and look for any possible legal loophole to deny you that time off. Um, And so most of my day was looking through legal documents and really basically destroying people's lives. And then the second half of my day was answering calls from people who were fucking furious, right? Because when you're sick or your loved one's sick, like, there is nothing more important. So that entire time that workspace everything about that was just like toxic and terrible and overwhelming and just not something I was adequately prepared to tackle right and the only thing that made this job worse was my manager and the reason for this was because The managers were essentially just people who had stuck around just long enough. (laughs) The turnover rate for my company was so high that nobody lasted any more than a couple of months. But if you reached that one-year mark, like, that was it. Congratulations, you were promoted to manager. (laughs) So you were in no way really qualified to lead a team. You had just been there a little bit longer Um, you were twice as miserable because you had been there twice as long and now you had a little bit more power and so people really did not vibe well with their managers and in particular I did not vibe well with my manager and this this is this is why my manager really hated me right it's because the very first week that i worked at this job i accidentally ate her lunch right (laughs) and that was all she had like (laughs) i remember she came up to my desk and she was like who was like she already knew who ate my lunch i left a post-it note i was like oh my god i'm so sorry i thought this was my lunch um so she had it out for me she 
pulled me into the office at any opportunity. She wrote me up for things that were like just really minor mistakes. And everybody makes mistakes in these like documents because they're so tedious and they take up so much time. Um, but it had just gotten to a point like two, three months into this job where I was getting pulled in every week. And I, I'm a Leo, so I kind of have like a natural defiance against authority. Like, I don't like it when people challenge my position in leadership. And then, like, I just did not vibe well with the culture, the corporate culture there. So I got pulled in a lot and I got reprimanded a lot. And the fact that I didn't give a shit about it made him like twice as angry about me just not caring. So it was a Friday afternoon. I just got him pulled into the office again. And I remember my supervisor writing my name down one more time and thinking to myself, like, fuck this. Like, I'm going home this weekend and I'm writing a two-week notice and I am getting the fuck out of here. Like, I don't care why, what I have do. I don't care if Sally Mae is coming for me. I don't give a fuck. I'll disappear. Like, whatever. <laughs> and as I'm getting onto the elevator to leave the office building... I hear a voice, and this person says, is that you, Michelle? Michelle's my real name. And I look up, and there's this tall, bald, white guy. So to give you a little bit of context, because um, this is important, I come from a long line of hoes, right? Uh, I'm a hoe. My mom is a hoe. <laughs> My abuela, rest her soul, like, she had, like, ten kids, so she had to have been hoeing for somebody. <laughs> but the real difference between my mom and I was that my mom was, like, a business hoe, right? Like, my mom didn't fuck around with, like, bum-ass dudes. My mom was, like, young, beautiful. She was very, like, ambitious. So she was out here with, like, doctors and CEOs and lawyers, and she did not fuck around. So back to this elevator scene. I look up. It's my mom's ex-boyfriend. Um, and I am, like, in shock, right? Because I just got out of being written up, and I see this person who I haven't seen in, like, a decade. And I'm like, oh, hi. How are you? Um, and he says, I'm great. What are you doing here? And I kind of explain that I work in the claims department, and I'm on my way out for the weekend. And he says, oh, that's really interesting. He's like, I am actually the CEO of the legal division of the company. <laughs> <laughs> so to like to break this down it's like the CEO of the entire company and then this guy and he then proceeds to ask me how I am liking my job so all these like moments flash before me right I don't know if anybody's seen uh, Infinity Wars but like when Doctor Strange is sitting there and all the possibilities <laughs> flash through like that's what went through my mind because I was like, you know, I could give this guy my corporate answer or I could just tell him the truth. And being the responsible professional adult that I was, I told him the truth. <laughs> and I just went off. I was like, oh, my God, this company fucking sucks. Like, your managers are incompetent. Um, they pull me into the office every fucking day for trivial shit. Like, I, this company would be better off without, like, I'm just worried vomiting. And the second I'm done... I realized that I have no context for what his relationship to these managers are. 
I have no idea if he works closely with them, how long he's known them. I don't know anything. And I start to panic. So I start looking for an exit, and I'm like, you know what? It's been great catching up with you. I got to go. And I dip out. The whole time I am sitting at home that weekend, I am looking up job applications. <laughs> I am getting ready for the boot. Like, I am really trying to conceptualize what it would be like to maybe work at, like, the bodega down the street or anywhere else, but not my job, right? So I get back in that Monday, and I'm keeping my head low because I'm trying not to draw any attention in myself. And before I even make it to my desk, I can hear people whispering amongst themselves. <laughs> And as I sit down, my coworker comes up to me, and she was like, Mm, Michelle, have you heard the news? And I look up at her oh, <laughs> with this fear in the pit in my stomach. And she was like, our supervisor is no longer with the company. <gasps> and as my jaw drops, I see an email notification in my inbox. And it's from the head of the legal division, the CEO. It has five words in this email. He says, have you noticed any changes? (laughs) (laughs) I have never in my entire life experienced nepotism like... grew up with like an undocumented mom and like a working I mean we were like poor poor growing up but like we didn't have connects like that but in that moment I just remember thinking like this is what George W. Bush Jr. must have felt like (laughs) like throughout the entirety of his life like when he got into Harvard and then when he became president and he was just like fuck it like yes like it worked out for me and I just I remember feeling like so powerful and it felt so good. (laughs) And looking back on it, I wasn't really the hero of that story and neither was Adam, right? Neither was the CEO of the legal division. It was really my mom. Because she taught me the biggest lesson that day, right? She taught me that you could either go through life getting fucked by your boss, or you could go on ahead and fuck your boss's boss. (laughs) Damn, that was a ride. Thank you so much for that. Oof. I love it. Yeah, use that nepotism for good or bad. I don't know. It's unclear, but use it. Um, Awesome. We've got one more storyteller in this half of the show. Um, So I am going to bring up Carly Ballerini. Um, Hello. Um, These have been been fun. I didn't know what to expect. It's like fun, uh, everybody. Um, uh, So I didn't, so I kind of got this late notice then. I didn't work on that. And then I just wrote down all of the people 
that I've worked for. Um, cause they're all, you know that, okay, you know the law of attraction? You know that, that whole thing is yeah. like you, mm-hmm. like you attract whatever, the secret. You, the secret and all that stuff. Okay, well, we all, that's bullshit, obviously. We all know that. that. I don't, that, that is not right. It, I don't think that you attract anything at any time. You're, it's all there. It's just depending, it just like matters like what you want to put up with and what you're paying attention to, you know? And so this, is the story of not figuring that out for a while. Um, so I, when I first started working, I started with my mom, who's a clown, um, and uh, she's just a bad clown. Um, she's like a very, she was not good at it. Um, she was really bad at, she's really bad at balloon animals. Um, she was not, uh, she's not coordinated really. Um, all the... All the clowning that we would do was for like it wasn't like fun like Cirque does it was like for like corporate she was like a sellout clown it was like, <laughs> no good um, and then when I became like when I was like of age she recruited me as Huckleberry her assistant um, we'd have to do all these like corporate parties so like I'd have to like go just to like people my own age like hello Pierre would you like to go get some popped balloon animals from that drunk clown? And they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, for sure. So, um, um, so we'd have to do all these carpet projects. We'd also have to do, um, she was so bad. And like, she was drunk all the time. She like kept like wine in the car. I don't know. She was just like not doing a great job. And then, uh, and then also she wouldn't just do clowning. She would do, um, uh, she would do, does anybody know what Country Thunder is? Country Thunder, you know, you know that? Um, it is a nightmare. Um, what a, oh, I'm sorry if you like it, but, what a, okay, great. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it's like just a, it's like a, a pod of like, um, like people, a shirtless, probably racist people who listen to bad music just in mud the whole time. And like, what we would have to do is like, uh, we, we would have body paint there. So we had like a body painting booth. And so we would be there and I was like very young. I was like nine and she would just leave me with like all the money and all the paint. And then I would just have to paint like rebel flags, <laughs> like in the chest hair. <laughs> it's like, um, but yeah. So, um, that was my first manager, uh, and it was rough. And then, um, so then I, so then I would just like work for all these like terrible people and I would work for them forever. Cause I was like, man, just, you know, bosses are crazy or whatever. <laughs> there was this one that I worked at this one place. It was like a, um, it was like a, uh, you know, um, uh, a bankruptcy law firm, okay, and the, the 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 there was the husband and then the wife who hated him. She she would uh, she would after after work all the time. She'd always be like, "How much would it take to kill him?" And like, just, we're not doing this. And she was from Cambodia, and she like was just tiny, this like tiny little like like she was just she just like go around just like get, get, getting in everybody's face all the time. And she's real stickler for the job but like also terrible at it and then also i it was my job to file things and so sometimes because this office was in like this weird building where you had to like go down a hall with like a key card and to go to the bathroom she would just pee in the garbage can like in the yeah she i would walk in on her and she wasn't even bummed about it when i'd walk in she'd be like oh I'll take it out later. Go away. Like, uh, like over the, um, uh, and then I worked there for a while. Um, and then, so then I, uh, um, then I was a, uh, then I worked at this, um, there was this restaurant 
uh, that I worked at. It was like a barbecue place. And the owners had like a, you know, a, you know what a volcano is where you, it's like a, um, it's like a pot thing. So they put pot in like a bag and then you, like, it's like a very awesome bong, right? Uh, but like they had one in the basement for everybody. And so the owners would go in the basement and just get annihilated. And the, 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 one of the owners, the lady, she hated me and she would, uh, She'd always tell me how, like, ugly I was just all the time. And, like, this one time she was looking at our – she was, like, high. She was looking at our um, our uh, um, paychecks and she was like, oh, is your last name Ballerini? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, that's beautiful. And I was like, thank you. And then she was like, you shouldn't have that name. <laughs> um, uh, she, and there was this, like, ballerina that we worked with, and she was like, Isabella should have that name, right? Isabella Ballerini? She's beautiful. Okay. Um, and, uh, and also, behind... Okay, so there was the restaurant, and then behind the restaurant was an illegal exotic zoo. So, uh, so, so, so in the summer, it would just smell like full shit, like in the, in the, in the restaurant. And one time, one of the sloths got out, cause she wouldn't take care of any of the animals. And one of the sloths got out, and we had to, and it was just like slowly, like, getting away. And we had to, like, wrestle, it, they're very heavy. We had to, like, wrestle it into the car. Fucking, um, yeah. So anyway, she just, uh, endorsed me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh. <laughs> Uh, so the last terrible manager that I had, um, this is when I had, like started like major therapy and I was like figuring it out. But like before I did, I got this one, and she uh, she she kept changing my job description depending on like whether or not she needed her toilet cleaned. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be like, oh, you're a nanny, and I'd be like. For sure. And I'd nanny her 13 and 16-year-old, which is just like, get out of here. Um, but then she was very, like, rich. So then she would have to have, like, me do all these manager of the house duties. And um, at one point, she, like, and she was super mean to me, but in, like, a very, like, like, like you, I, you know when people look at you and you're like, oh, you would, you would shit on me in the street. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, she would look at me like that all the time. Anyway, she would say things to me that are so insane. Like one time she said to me, I, I was like also, I wasn't just her house manager at that point. I was also the nanny. And then I was also, I had to cook dinner also. It was just like, we just kept adding them on. One time I had to uh, uh, figure out how to put like a, like a nail in a brick. I don't know. So, uh, so like, <laughs> so uh, she, she, she took me into the back room and she was like, Carly, I'm just going to need you to into it when I need to come home to like a really good salad dressing and I was like <laughs> I was like what and she was like you just have to like know and I was like I can't just know um, so she would say that to me and then one time she took me in another meeting and she was like Carly um Listen, I just, you're going to be the nanny again because um, the 13 and the 16-year-old are uh, are home for the summer. And um, the 16-year-old keeps sending uh, pictures of her boobs to, pe- to people. And um, so I just need you to make sure that, you know, the 13-year-old doesn't smoke pot and the 16-year-old doesn't get pregnant. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. 
your 16-year-old hates me and is richer than I'll ever be. So uh, there's no way that I can make her not get pregnant. Do you understand? And she was like, no. And then I quit. Anyway, um, so now I don't uh, do that anymore. And when I I have a a shitty boss now, I just uh, quit right away. Um, and I have, like, nice bosses now, so it worked out, it worked out pretty well. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, there really wasn't an end to that. I didn't make an end, and I'm really sorry about that, but that was the story. So, thank you. This is a deep, uh, deepish cut from The Stranger, which is a great record. But yes. I guess it was in a movie, which is why a lot of people know yeah, this Yeah, thirteen song. going on thirty. It's on. It, oh. Do you guys know that movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big with a lady. Yes. And better. Yes. Well. Yes. <laughs> you know how I feel about a young Tom Hanks. Um. Cool. All right. It's called Vienna. One, yes. One, two. You better cool it off before you're burning out You got so much to do, only so many hours in the day Hey, But you know that when the truth is told That you can get what you want or you can just get old You're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through Ooh, and will you realize the inner ways for you podcast has been produced in association with the nerdalogs to find out more about the nerdalogs and their shows visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs thanks for listening <laughs>